loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Killer Crocs. We're talking Profane Betty White. We are talking Bridget Vonda. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking, in my opinion, subpar creature features, but very, very wow. apt. I, <laughs> I know, I dove right into it. Got shots fired right off the bow here. But celebrating its 20th anniversary and also fortuitously coming out the same week of Crawl, which had a release date announced after we scheduled this episode. So that's just God or whatever higher power you believe in is shining on us. But before we get to it, <laughs> our summer of franchises, because apparently this movie does have a franchise, continues with our summer of guests apparently as well. Please welcome everyone, senior producer of 2Fab.com, Brian Particelli. Hello, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Uh, we're sorry we made you watch this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it had been a minute, and uh, it'll probably be another minute till I watch it again. <laughs> I admit. Wow. Wow, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I'm being harsh on this movie. I Sorry, everyone, we're talking about Lake Placid. Which, oh, yeah. <laughs> obviously, you know <laughs> if you saw the episode title in your podcast provider. But I don't hate this movie. It's just a solid, like, C, two and a half out of five. Like, it's fine. I mean, it's. I think it's made worse by the fact that there's so many talented people involved with it. Yes. <laughs> and the screenwriter, who we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> well, this feels like a very quintessentially late 90s film, where you've stacked the deck with a bunch of really talented adult <laughs> character actors, and then put them in a fucking creature feature it's such a weird film that feels like it would never be made nowadays it was really funny though because um i was watching an interview with bill pullman about the movie and like it it was a contemporary one like i think it was done when the uh, screen factory blu-ray came out whenever that came out and they briefly touched on the reception of the film which at the time of release well we'll get to it but it wasn't very positive but he talks about like how people don't really understand it when you know it's not really clear the tone of the film and he was trying to describe a horror comedy but he didn't know the words to use to describe it and i was like that probably is um everyone on this movie because none of these people with the exception of the director were genre like from genre backgrounds yeah for sure that makes sense it shows (laughs) it it does (laughs) so okay so this movie was released on july 16th 1999 and an important note two weeks before deep blue sea came out it's a tough act to anticipate (laughs) yeah i mean i wonder if this would have done better had deep blue sea come out first and if deep blue because this movie made about half the money that deep blue sea made but it also cost about half the money deep blue sea cost (laughs) but yeah released by 20th century fox and running a brief 82 minutes and i clocked it 78 without credits and i think that's the perfect runtime for this movie (laughs) (laughs) i mean it feels longer than 82 minutes no it does so uh, at the hour mark i was like this has been 82 minutes but right like and nope it was the hour mark because it's 45 minutes till you see the croc for the first time (laughs) i clocked that too 43 minutes perfect (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is it's half the runtime and it's like look you're not making jaws here you can show the crocodile before but it looks good show it (laughs) Well, and I don't know if, because they keep saying, oh, was it a bear? Was it a bear? Was it a bear? And then they show a bear. And so I was like, were were they trying to make you think it might have been a bear? Like, what was it? With the giant croc on the poster. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, oh, and I watched the trailer. Oh, by the way, I watched the trailer, too. The trailer 
it was the same narrator who did the Anaconda trailer, but it was it, the trailer is very serious, like a serious like for millions of years they've been worshipped, blah blah blah. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously, if someone's walking into this movie after seeing that fucking trailer, yeah, they're gonna be kind of thrown <laughs> by the comedy, <laughs> right? But yeah, budget of thirty five million dollars for nineteen ninety nine, so it's a pretty hefty amount of money that Fox threw at this shit. But it opened at number three, behind Eyes Wide Shut and American Pie. And I think it was the second weekend for American Pie. I will say that I went to see all of those movies, (laughs) but I definitely went to see Eyes Wide Shut. So I contributed to that number one spot. (laughs) Well, it only made $11 million. Oh, you mean the number? Oh, for Eyes Wide Shut. Okay, got it. Um, So yeah, Uh, Lake Placid only made $11 million opening weekend, and it ended up making $31.8 million domestically. So it did not earn back its budget. But the adjusted gross is $56.3 million, so I mean, it doesn't sound terrible, but again, when you put the budget into it, it's kind of like, murp, murp. Well, this is when you would expect international grosses to kind of save you, but this is not the kind of film that's going to sell well in other parts of the world. Right. I mean, it did make $25 million internationally, so I mean, the worldwide gross was 56.9. I don't know if that, I don't know enough about money to say <laughs> if that's like considered a success, but... Yes, we firmly established that you do not know anything about money. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think you could tell by all the sequels going direct to TV that it was not the success they wanted it to be. Have y'all seen any of these sequels? No. (laughs) Okay. I'm really curious, because no, they have one called, they have a Lake Placid 2, 3, and then they have a Lake Placid, the final chapter, and then there's Lake Placid versus Anaconda. They have a crossover with Anaconda. Anaconda. (laughs) What I love is, it's Lake Placid versus Anaconda, as if Lake Placid (laughs) is the species of animal that's in this movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is it a bear? Is it a mink? Is it a Lake Placid? It's a lake. (laughs) Well, this movie also has the distinction of being called Lake Placid, despite it not being Lake Placid. It's Black Lake. And they make a weird comment about it. Yeah. Honestly, this seems like the kind of script that might have originally started as Black Creek. And then they realized, oh, that's not going to, you know, get butts and seats. Maybe we'll call it Lake Placid instead. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, that was that. And again, like I mentioned earlier, the reception was not the best. Um, Roger Ebert hated this movie, despite giving Deep Blue Sea three stars. Uh, He gave this one a one out of five or one out of four. (laughs) I mean, if you're comparing the two, that does track. Right. But again, important to note, he saw Deep Blue Sea after this. Maybe that helps it. Maybe that raised his score of Deep Blue Sea. Mm. He was like... <laughs> but yeah, Rotten Tomatoes score 41%, but an audience score, and this is what's shocking to me, of 36%. Because it's so slow. Okay, so I, I have never seen this movie in its entirety. So, Joe, we know you've seen it. Brian, when was the last time you saw it? Oh, uh, in entirety, it's been ages. I would say a decade at least. Okay. Okay. Because... I'd seen parts of it on TV, but never, never in its entirety. It was always edited for TV. But I had always heard about, oh, Betty White, Betty White, Betty White. Mm. And she has like three profane lines in this movie. And I was kind of disappointed with that. <laughs> well, no, because you think that that's why the movie got its R rating. But it's it's not like she does all that much with it to earn it. No. She says, fuck meat, cocksucker, and if I had a dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it. That is literally, yeah. those are all, that's all she contributes to this picture. Which are great. Yeah. <laughs> they are they are legitimately good lines <laughs> i think they would have been more effective in 1999 maybe had like because you know, after like what the late 2000s we had like that betty white assance where she was in mm. everything mm-hmm. but i feel like maybe they saw this and was like oh she can be raunchy let's really lean into that yeah for sure well don't forget that the late 90s was also that time period where kind of vulgar grannies yeah. were a big deal because they had that chick who get her tits out and there's something about Mary mm. and then uh, that's Lynn Shay. 
the wedding singer yes the wedding singer so yeah, i think between the three properties that was like sexy rude grandmas <laughs> oh yeah she's looking real sexy with those khaki pants she's wearing like <laughs> up, up to her tits <laughs> so yeah not great uh metacritic score of 34 out of 100 with a user score again weird six out of ten for the users so th- there's that weird like disparity between mm-hmm. rotten tomatoes and metacritic that i don't understand so yeah, before we get to your plot synopsis, Joe, we have a director who is, as we mentioned earlier, a genre vet, Steve Miner. Yes. Who directed Friday the 13th Part 2 and Part 3, and the year before this movie came out, Halloween H2O, but, but, nine years after this came out, Private Valentine, Blonde and Dangerous, starring Jessica Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you make it sound like people should know what the fuck that is. I know. Okay, so I've seen the box cover a couple times, but I think it might be the scariest movie on that list. Ooh, was that like her Private Benjamin remake? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was like a Private Benjamin type, or like Ooh. a cadet, but, but maybe more like Cadet Kelly with um, <laughs> Hilary Duff and Ren Stevens from Even Stevens. <laughs> Christy Carlson Romano. Um, of course you found a way to bring Hilary Duff into <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know what, but anyways, it just goes to show where this man's career has gone. But ouch! I know, I know. But I genuinely like Friday two and three and H two O. I do think out of those horror films, though, this is his weakest effort. Yeah, I mean, you look at H two O and the opening sequence of it has more gore, I think, than most of this movie does. And I think tension—that's mm. the big thing for me. Like, I like this film more than the pair of you, but. There's just very little in this film that actually works as a scary film. Yeah. So I will say that listening to the behind-the-scenes uh, st- interviews and stuff, it was very clear they were like, we didn't want to make this scary. Like, they were trying to go full comedy with it. But I would argue that it's not funny enough to merit that either. There are two scenes that I did think had tension, and it was the same when Oliver Platt is faced with the crocodile in the water. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the climactic scene when Bridget Fonda has to dive underwater. I genuinely, like, was into it. Like, I was really yeah, enjoying right. that bit. And somehow outswims a crocodile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, two feet behind her. <laughs> um, but and there's, there's that shot where it, like, swims by her. And then, of course, when it's coming for the tree trunk and it grabs... Oh, like, again, that's all yeah, really that's good. Yeah, that's the best scene in the movie. And it's so short because it's a 78-minute <laughs> movie. I was going to say Halloween's short, too, isn't it? Like, 80 minutes long. Yeah. It's 84. But we're going to go into the comedy of this, though, because this was written by TV superstar David E. Kelly. What the fuck? Yeah, that was surprising when I saw that. (laughs) I think that is potentially what got it green lit, but also it's... It is. It's the most what the fuck <laughs> aspect of this film. Like, who looks to David E. Kelly to write a horror no. film? Okay, so listeners, in case you don't know, and I, I'm saying this because friends of the show, Brennan Klein and uh, Sergio Steinbliss, uh, they, they covered this movie on their Scream 101 podcast and did not mention David E. Kelly. And I was like, guys! <laughs> That's like the most interesting thing about this whole movie. To me. But it's because they're babies and they don't know who David e. Kelly is. But I'm going to tell you all who he is. <laughs> yes. So educate the masses. This was before my time. So I guess what really brought him to the public like light was Picket Fences, which yeah. I only know as the Holly Marie Combs show. <laughs> oh my God, Trace. Well, <laughs> I don't know anything else about it. I can't with you sometimes. <laughs> well, no, because when I was watching Charm, my dad was like, oh, that's the girl from Picket Fences. And I was like, you know, 10. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the original kind of wacky crime procedural, but not at the same time. Gotcha. Yeah, I just missed that. Well, and so what I knew him from, though, well, A was Ally McBeal, which 
Yeah. This movie seems like, okay, this is like Alimobile at its heyday, and this is... It really it's is. It's trying to yeah. do that, but with a crocodile movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally Ali McBeal goes into the woods. With uh, the person yes. that wanted to play Ali McBeal. Oh, did they want Bridget Fonda? <gasps> yeah, she turned it down because she didn't want to do TV. Oh. Bridget Fonda, you dumb, dumb. Girl. But I mean, this yeah. came out in the height of Ally McBeal, I think, both that and the practice that already She started. was probably like, oh shit, I made a big fucking mistake. <laughs> I better she take was the still next making big, big movies at this point. Well, because she, she retired from acting in 02, like yeah. three years after this movie. Yeah, she got the residuals, <laughs> she paid off the beach house, and then she was like, and I'm done, bitch. And Danny Elfman's yes. paying for everything now. I'm good. She's married. Is she married to Yes. Danny <laughs> Oh my god, how do we not... Okay, A, how do you know so much about Bridget Fonda and how do we know so much about Bridget Fonda? I just, I went down a wiki wormhole and I was just, yeah. Because, I mean, I loved Point of No Return, single white female. Yes, And then she just kind of disappeared. No, I mean, I I love her. I think she's the best part of Jackie Brown, which is Mm -hmm. a very underrated Tarantino film, in my opinion. But, um, oh yeah. But yeah, uh, and so, okay, so, and the other thing that Kelly done in the 90s that I I also knew him from was The Practice. I watched that show religiously as a preteen. Yeah. And Boston Public. <laughs> See, I never want that's the that's second time that show has come up on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> it shows fucking crazy. It's an insane show. <laughs> it is. It's David E. Kelly leaning into his most kind of crazy Fuck. antics. No, we did it again. It's Boston Legal. Boston Public is the teacher show. Yeah, he did Damn Oh, it. he didn't do Boston. I thought he did both of them. Oh, fuck. Wait, did he? Yeah, because they're sequels. No, no. The, the Boston Legal is a sequel to The Practice. Boston Public is about a teacher. It's te- still teachers. a David E. Kelly show. Hold on. It is. How are we doing this again? I don't know. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> it's correct. And then, of course, Baby Gaze will know <laughs> that he's now doing Big Little. Yes. Oh, my God. He did do Boston Public. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so Trace, he you was like the star from like six episodes no, ago. I do, I do. I, I, I was literally like, Joe, it's Boston Legal. How are you so fucking stupid? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, anyway, so yes, I apologize. It's a retroactive <laughs> apology. He did Boston Public and Boston Legal. But yes, Joe, as you mentioned, Baby Gaze may know him as the creator of the TV show Big Little Lies. And if you're a horror fan and don't watch Big Little Lies, uh, Annie's Mr. Mercedes, the Stephen King adaptation, which reunites him with Gleason. Yes. Yes. Which is interesting because I would argue that Mr. Mercedes has a much better grasp of tone than this film does. It does. Yeah. But I don't know, is he writing for that or does he just show run it? Um, or executive produce it? Well, I mean, he's the creator, so I'm assuming he writes some of it. Developed by... He... <laughs> I know, it's a wiki dive. Yeah. Insert girl from Ipanema music. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, David E. Kelly did write the first two episodes of Mr. Mercedes. And then he fucked off and collected the residuals. No, in season two, he wrote episode two and episode ten, but he co-wrote episode ten, which is the finale. And it did get renewed for a third season, so, I mean, you know, I don't know what that meant, but... (laughs) Like, who was that directed to? So, yeah, I mean... Honestly, you know, sometimes picks like that, oh, like, that not expected. Like, that kind of works out sometimes. I don't think it works. Alan McBeal, I caught later in life because I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was a kid because, you know, it was very, at the time, it's very risky. not for kids no. yet. But I watched it in college and I remember being like, that's it. Like, I mean, I, I enjoyed it once Portia de Rossi and Lucy Liu came on, but I was like, of course you did. <laughs> There's like a bathroom cat fight in like season three or something and I was into it. <laughs> As you could be. <laughs> but like, this movie, like, I chuckled a couple of times, but the characters are kind of odious. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't fully work for me. 
No. Would you like me to interject with a plot summary? <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, I, I was just I was just going to mention that um, the composer is John Oddman, who also did the, the score for Halloween H2O, and he directed Urban Legends Final Cut. Mm. Future stay tuned. Yes, apps. Oh, yes, future stay tuned. And the cinematographer was Darren Okada, who also did the cinematography on Halloween H2O. And bring it on and Mean Girls and stick it. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. So every time Bridget Fonda goes, like, flying through the air, you're like, yeah, this is all just prep work for Bring It On, baby. <laughs> basically. But yeah, so basically Minor, you know, keeps the same crew around, apparently. Um, you right. forgot the most interesting thing about David E. Kelly, though. Wait, what is it? Oh, he's married to Michelle Pfeiffer! <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't know. I thought he was gay, and I was, like, looking it up, and I was like, what the fuck? They've been married since 1993! <laughs> yeah, how she's not on Big Little Lies yet is beyond me. <gasps> oh my god, stunt casting that we need to make yes. happen. Brian, no. you I'm live in Hollywood. It. We need you to make this happen. I'm sure he's been told, like, girl, put Michelle Pfeiffer on that fucking show. Yeah, buy Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> She's like luxuriating in like a giant clawfoot bathtub, being like, David, write me a scene. <laughs> is, that how, is that your Michelle Pfeiffer impersonation? <laughs> I don't do impersonations. That's just how she I don't do that, That's the one weak link, that weak, weak link of this podcast. We just, we can't <laughs> do it. Need better impressions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If we did more British films, I feel like I could handle it. <laughs> okay. Maybe when we have a forthcoming Australian film, I'll try. Mm. I'll see. I'll break up my Australian lingo. Dropping clues about future episodes. <laughs> I gotta reel in the kids these days. You know? With <laughs> Australian horror. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Lake Placid. Here we go. After an opening attack on Black Bay, recently dumped New York paleontologist Kelly Scott, Bridget Fonda, is dispatched to rural Maine where she connects with fish and wildlife person Jack Wells, Bill Pullman, and Sheriff Hank. How do we say his last name? Is it Koo? Kooey? Keg? Uh, Keo. <laughs> I say Keo. Okay. I'm gonna start that part again. Yeah. After an opening attack on Black Bay, recently dumped New York paleontologist Kelly Scott, Bridget Vonda, is dispatched to rural Maine where she connects with fish and wildlife guy Jack Wells, Bill Pullman, and Sheriff Hank... Damn it. Nope. What is it? Koo? Kooey? Kia? Kia. 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 We're going to call, call him Sheriff Hank anyway, yeah. so... Uh, <laughs> Brennan Gleason. The trio stops to interview Mrs. Bickerman, Betty White, who admits that she killed her husband before they set up base camp. They are soon joined by rich asshole Hector Sire. Seer. Seer. Damn it. <laughs> They're soon joined by rich asshole Hector Sear, Oliver Platt, who suggests that the perp may be a crocodile. As the now foursome head onto the lake, the canoe carrying Hank and Kelly is flipped, but no one sees anything. Hector and Hank clash over attempts to lure the croc into a land trap while Kelly and Jack continue to flirt. And the real question you should be asking yourself is which pair is more likely to fuck? The next morning, Jack and Hector go diving while Hank and Kelly remain in the boat. After an incident with the anchor, Kelly is thrown overboard, and Deputy Redshirt, or Burke, Deputy Burke, is decapitated in the ensuing chaos. When Hector and Hank come to blows, an attacking bear is snatched into the water, proving once and for all that the creature is an Asian Pacific crocodile. 43 minutes into this movie. <laughs> Like, it's a, they play it as a reveal because no one wants to believe it's a fucking crocodile. Even though we all know it. All I have to say is about that scene is that I love the sound that the bear makes when it gets dragged into the water. <laughs> Can you impersonate that? <laughs> Beautiful. It kind of sounds like a cat, honestly. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. 
The next day, Kelly, Jack, and Hank discover tracks and Burke's head near Mrs. Bickerman's home, then observe as she feeds the croc a cow. Meanwhile, Hector and Deputy Sharon nearly die when the croc attacks the chopper after Hector tries to go swimming with it. At this point, the conversation shifts to how they will proceed. Jack wants to kill the croc. Hector and Kelly argue for its scientific value as a rare specimen. Eventually, they settle on using a cow to lure the croc out, but the plan goes awry when the helicopter crashes. Kelly eventually winds up in the water with Hector, and the pair escape as the croc becomes lodged in the chopper. After a protracted discussion about whether to kill it, a second crocodile emerges and nearly eats Hector. But it is instead blown up by Chekhov's cannon. As the film closes, grenade launcher. (laughs) They call it a cannon the whole movie, though. Well, the Wikipedia says it's a grenade launcher. (laughs) Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Wait, a grenade launcher? Yeah. Is that a thing? Do you not? Oh, you don't play video games. (laughs) Is it not a rocket launcher? No, it's a grenade launcher. It launches a grenade and it explodes upon impact. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> I'm just going to go back to playing my, like, Nintendo 64 GoldenEye edition Girl, here. go play some fucking Resident <laughs> Evil. You get some grenade launchers to blow some zombies up. Oh, my God. Okay. As the film closes, <laughs> Kelly and Jack give in to their feelings. The croc is transported away by flatbed truck, and it is revealed that Mrs. Bickerman is, of course, feeding a host of baby crocs by her cabin. Okay. To be continued. <laughs> so... <laughs> Should we start with the comedy, since that's what the film seems to have on its mind? Sure. Um, how much of this comedy worked for you guys? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Was that a dying sigh? Or... Well, a dying so, bear, perhaps? <laughs> I, wait, I just want to say, so I, I had like posted my two and a half out of five review on Letterboxd, and I, I, Joe had rewatched this after me, and he messaged me and goes, fuck you, like, Plast, it's awesome. And then, he, like, 30 minutes later, he comes back, and he goes, okay, it starts awesome, and then it gets kind of mad. <laughs> it's but, just so much, like, witty banter that I think at a point it becomes too much. Well, okay, so maybe we should go by characters, because every character has their own things mm. that make them quote-unquote funny. And I will say that I did find Bridget Fonda's neurotic crazy lady amusing at first. Yes. I never found her annoying. Now, this is something that I think a lot of people do find about her is that she's very annoying. She's like the Monica from Friends of this movie. And I find that very endearing. The problem is all of her jokes are, I got a thing about worms. I got a thing about ticks. I got a thing about mosquitoes. And I'm like, girl, come up with another, or or heads get thrown at her. Like. (laughs) I will say every time a head gets thrown at her, I did laugh. Oh, when she like <laughs> stop throwing heads at me. When when the head, when she steps on the log and it catapults at her, like that was good. Because <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that's just like sublime ridiculousness. Yeah. Where you're like, here is a woman from the city, like a fish out of water. She's trapped in the woods with all of these burly men who aren't taking her seriously, and the movie literally throws decapitated heads at her every 20 minutes or so. Well, that's what this movie needed more of. It yes. needed more of that kind of gallows humor and honestly more gore. The fact that none of those main four die in this movie is kind of unforgivable. I completely spaced on that. I was convinced <laughs> that Hector dies yeah. in this movie. I mean, he should have. He's the most unlikable of all the characters. He's the most expendable, for yeah. sure. He's the one who's standing in for David E. Kelly, I'm convinced. Because David E. Kelly constantly gets complaints lodged against him of being a misogynist, particularly back in the Alan McBeal days. So that show had like a run of different things where women were basically reduced to sexual objects for men's 
visual pleasure. And in this film, you can definitely see it where they, they continually make all these big city jokes at Kelly's expense. But then also Hector shows up and just immediately sexually harasses every single woman in sight. And you're meant to think it's funny no no the line when he's like i was hoping we were going to mate and then the deputy lady is just like yeah uh-huh like going like she doesn't interject at all and be like fuck you no and then later she offers him sex if he gets out of the water and i think it was a joke yep. but i was like oh my god yeah like this doesn't play well regardless of how you're you think you're delivering this whether it's a punchline or whether it's a serious you know like no heck to get out of the water like it's not good and maybe it was back in 1999. Well, that's what I was going to say. Think, like, <laughs> I, it, it has not aged well. But I can forgive it those things because of 1999. Now, what were y'all's thoughts, though, on the Bridget Fonda character? Did y'all find her annoying? I remembered her being annoying. And I didn't find her as annoying as I thought she was watching it back. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting that she's introduced in a very sympathetic light. So mm. even though she comes off as a bit shrill and a bit harpy, you know, all the things that men would consider uppity women to be, she's introduced as a jilted lover who yeah. basically is forced to do something by her boss that she doesn't want to do. And then she just has to kind of accept it and say, all right, well, I'll make the best of a bad situation. Her boss, Adam Arkin, who was in Halloween H2O, and yeah. his mistress slash her best friend, Mariska Hargitay. Mariska Hargitay. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I kept waiting for the pair of them to come out at some point and be murdered. That No, like, that, I thought that's the body what you fucking do. Bit, yeah. That's, yeah, you bring them out and you kill those fuckers. But no, right. they're just out of the movie after the second scene. <laughs> Like, literally, it's they are just there to drive her away. And you're like, okay, but did we even need... Oh, 82 minutes. Okay, got Well, it. no, but, but that's the thing, though. With that runtime, like, around the time the croc, like, is finally revealed, I was like, this feels like a sitcom. Yes. But stretched to 82 minutes. Again, 78 without credits. I'm going to hammer that in. I don't know. I mean, I, I never wanted to complain about a longer crocodile movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like the stakes never felt that big. Yeah. There was no big SWAT team that came in to like help with the situation. That really, it was still like the four of them arguing about whether they're going to shoot it with the trank gun or not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the funniest part of that entire climax is you're thinking, <laughs> so wait, your impetus for having this extended conversation <laughs> is literally that you want to make the decision before the people with the big guns arrive. Show up. Like, that does not a climax make. My no, friend. the big gun should be there. Well, and the problem is, too, with that climax is, like, once it, once it really gets going, when Bridget Fonda goes underwater, it's over. Like, it doesn't last long enough to make no, it exciting. No. Yeah, because the croc just gets immediately lodged in that chopper, and you're good to go. And I feel like with the reveal of the second croc, David E. Kelly was, like, jerking off to himself. And <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, my God, they're never going to see it coming. Yes, yes, come, come. And then it's yes, just like, Michelle, right. suck on my toe. Oh, I really had a breakthrough. <laughs> and then just immediate regret. And he's out of there. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's just like, okay, like, and then it blows up immediately with either the whatever you called it or the grenade launcher. <laughs> I don't know. It just, like, it felt very lazy. Yeah. To me, this film feels like David E. Kelly had the first act really well thought out, and then he kind of made the second and third act up as he went along. So he he did have this as a spec script, and it was snatched up immediately because people were like, oh, it's a horror movie by David E. Kelly? <laughs> yes. 
Like, he wanted to do this. Like, he really wanted to write this script, apparently. <laughs> it's like stretching, stretching the muscles, right? He's like, oh, yeah. what if I, what if I tried to Ally McBeal, but horror? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sure. then, yeah, this is how you end up with Bridget Fonda basically just having meat cutes in the woods. <laughs> There's a way to do it. This just wasn't it. Yeah. Okay, so my read of this film is actually that it's not a horror film at all. Like, we talked about how mm. there's no tension, the scares right. don't really work, the pacing of it or the structure of it doesn't really work. And I think that's because this is actually a romantic comedy <laughs> of two different couples with a crocodile in the mix. You know, it, it absolutely is, because the movie does very much play like a battle of the sexes. The problem is it's three men ganging up on Bridget Fonda. <laughs> and the other sheriff. I think that Hank and Hector are basically circling each other sexually in the same kind of way. Oh, so you're bringing a queer reading into this. Yes. <laughs> it's it's what we do, sweetie. It's the name of our podcast. <laughs> Where's the queer element? Why are you doing this film? No, wait. So you're saying, um, oh, Hank. Okay. At first I thought you meant Bill Pullman and all of And I was like, what movie were you watching? But no, no, no. Totally. There's a tension there. I mean... In 1999, I think this probably would have been played for uncomfortable laughs. Like, oh, you know, this one man keeps trapping this other man in pits and, you know, circling him up in trees. And they're, they keep having, you know, the sexual tension that's very reminiscent of screwball comedies back in the 40s. And I think if anybody would have caught on, like if you had that queer reading of it, you would look at it and say like, mm, okay, well, but I can just play that off for laughs because... Like, Hector's such an asshole, and Hank is having all these funny reactions. But, like, 20 years later, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, if this was just a regular romantic comedy, those two would have ended up together. Well, you are forgetting whenever Hector tells Hank that he can chew the bark off of his big fat log, and then <laughs> Hank just goes, was that a homosexual remark? Which oh, Homosexual. Yeah. <laughs> Gleason's like, he's either Scottish or Irish, or he's one of those things. And in the first act, I was like, I don't think he's holding this accent very well. No. <laughs> yeah, the Irish brogue came through. Irish, yeah. there you go. Either cast people <laughs> so that they can use their real accent or work with them to make sure that they can actually pull this off. Well, Because I think he's supposed to be like local yokel law enforcement. And instead you're like, so what's this Irish guy's story? Like, what's <laughs> he doing in Maine? So here's the thing. And this is gonna, I'm going to sound like a douchebag because I'm going off on Steve Miner again. But... They apparently did a lot of improv, like the actors did, like they wanted to, like, like David Kelly encouraged it or something, and like during production, like they did it. I think Steve Miner didn't want to tell them, no, that's not working. <laughs> <laughs> because because of who he's working with, which I totally get. I'm sure it's very intimidating when you come off of, you know, fucking Friday Part 2 and 3 in the 80s, and I mean, I guess Halloween H2O, like you got Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> but cool Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. You just know LL Cool J's entire, like, all of his dialogue on H2O was improv. Yes. Which, I mean, when you Our think about it, though. melon breath. <laughs> LL Cool J had a really good uh, summers of 98 and 99 because he had, because yeah. uh, Halloween mm-hmm. H2O was a summer release in 98. Yeah. And then Deep Blue Sea. And yeah, in July of 99. Go LL Cool J. And he's basically playing the exact same character in both. <laughs> yes, he is. But I am not complaining because I like both those characters. <sighs> I'll complain later. Whenever we do Deep Blue Sea uh, at one point. Yeah, I sure. hope that's coming. I have yeah. to be able to talk about Thomas James Arms for like a good night. <laughs> like, you've already talked about it before, but fine. I will never stop talking about it. So <laughs> I will not be silent. <laughs> 
All right, so yeah, I, I will buy on buy into your queer reading of uh, fuck uh, <laughs> Hank, Hank and Hector. Yeah. Hank and it should be easy. H- Hank and Hector. Oh my god, that that's your sitcom. <laughs> well, and here's the problem. Like when I was putting together the fucking plot synopsis, I was like, wait, do I even have the names rights? Because every single one of these character names are male. Oh. Kelly, yeah. Hank, Hector, right. Kelly and Jack. Like, they're all so similar. It's like David E. Kelly just gave up and named <laughs> all of his characters, like, a quick derivation of the others. Well, all right. So, Brian, yes. are, are you going to buy into this reach that Joe's making? I mean, I guess so. If you go into the whole, you know, trope that people that are <laughs> homophobic are actually gay. <laughs> well, so would we say that Hank, I guess, I mean, I guess they are trying to make him homophobic with that. Yeah. Was that a homosexual? He keeps calling remark? him a mental and a fruitcake. Yeah. It's yeah. best if we don't speak. Like, what, he's got some issues. What is a mental? I don't know, but he kept saying it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he kept saying it all the time. Oh, and he likes Twinkies. He likes Twinkies. Yeah. Well, of course, because he's a bit of a bigger guy. You guys oh, he like Twinks! He likes Twinks! <laughs> <laughs> he's a bear, Daddy. Give me more. Say, then Hector's not his man if he's into Twinks. <laughs> Well, and Hector is so obviously, like, overcompensating with all of his, like, oh, I'm a lady killer. And you're like, mm, are you? Okay, wait. <laughs> I do have a question about Hector, though. So I had to make sure that I heard it correctly. He was a mythology pre- professor, yes. but also a crocodile enthusiast. Yes. yes. Like, and he's, he's very rich. fucking rich. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you can get rich being a medieval faculty member. <laughs> Mytho- no, mythology, not medieval. Myth- like Greek mythology, Roman mythology. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it was probably Egyptian because we learned that Egyptians used to worship crocodiles as their gods, right? Mm. Yeah, and that that line when she when Kelly said that was very reminiscent of um something you we people used to worship cats. Oh, the mummy, which also came out the summer of 99 because they're talking about how they uh, they used to worship cats or something and like cats scared the mummy and what whatnot. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That was a digression. <laughs> not not related. Uh, but the mummy—that's a better movie. I Great love, movie. I, and, and and quite scary while also being funny. Yeah, yes, the humor in that works exceptionally well. Here, not so much. And it's PG thirteen, and I would argue more gross, despite not being gorier yeah. than this movie. Definitely. <laughs> okay, but are we comfortable segueing off of the characters and talking about like the gore? Because I do want to talk about how at least the crocodile looks really good. The crocodile, yeah. You mean for the three minutes and 43 seconds of screen time that it has in this 78-minute movie? <laughs> yes, the $30 million croc that they use for three yeah, minutes. $30 million! Dollars. <laughs> Makes no sense. No, uh, it, it, uh, Stan Winston built that crocodile for $1 million when he was just trying to say, yeah, I'll do this. So he didn't even know he would get that money back. He like, made it before he got the job. <laughs> that is so That's weird. wild. Yup. But no, Why it does. Hollywood's so weird. <laughs> The, the CGI also, I mean, it's, you can tell it's CGI, but for 1999, like, when the croc is in a wide shot, it looks fine. It looks solid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that scene, like, the, the most tense scene that we talked about where she's, it's underwater, she's pressed up against that tree log mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. and it's just biting her. You're like, okay, that's probably pretty obviously CGI. <laughs> and it looks good. I think they definitely said, let's adopt the Jaws approach. Let's not reveal our special creature design until later into the film, and then let's use it judiciously. And I think it kind of works. It's just the rest of the movie doesn't quite know what the fuck to do with itself in the meantime. Yeah. And it's like, 
you know, they've flown off, thrown off the canoes. Like, you should be able to see something. How did that thing get so fucking high in the air? Yeah. I don't know. You expect to see glimpses of it, even if it's just the audience and they don't. Yeah. With regard to how it looks underwater, though, like, I think it looks fine in that underwater scene because the water's dark and murky. So, like, Mm. bad CGI can look okay. But, like, when it's on the... Not a beach. <laughs> it's not a beach. It's on a <laughs> lake. But, like, the shore. Uh, yeah. When it's out there, like, you know, like, roaring at everyone, that's when it looks probably the most fake. And when it grabs yeah. the cow and when it grabs the bear. But, I mean, again, it looks good. And when it is a practical, when it is Stan, Cre- Stan Creature, when it is <laughs> <laughs> when it is Stan Winston's, like, practical, like, robot crocodile, it looks really, really good. Yeah. No, yeah. I think the, I think as a creature feature, the creature looks great. You just don't see it on the so what did you guys think of the use of the cow as like a kind of semi-strategic character? Because that's how we get our first glimpse of the croc at Mrs. Bickerman's there. And then later they obviously use it as bait to lure it out into the ground. Did you like that? I mean, the first glimpse of the croc is when it eats the bear, but yes. <laughs> you kind of see it when it bites the guy's head off. Uh, it's a very <laughs> right. quick, it, it, it's a very quick Jaws yes. shot. Like, you, you you barely get it. I, I like the cow. I think it's the funniest and the saddest yes. when it's being used, like, hanging from the helicopter. <laughs> yeah, I felt really bad for that thing. <laughs> that, to me, was part of where the comedy was, like, not really working for me. Like, oh, really? It's very late in the movie. I liked all the stuff with the cow, but then you keep cutting back to Bridget Fonda's character, Kelly, being like, oh, she's mooing. Oh, like... <laughs> Like, Hector, you've got to raise her up out of the water. The croc gets too close. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, woman. Yeah. Like, but why are you so daft? But isn't it her that delivers the line, that is not a happy cow? And I admit that I laughed out loud at that line. <laughs> so weird. By that point, I, I think I was just kind of over it because I was like, we're stop into killer croc. croc territory. Like, stop with the jokes. Get on with the murders. <laughs> but this movie doesn't stop with the jokes, ever. No. And I, I'm putting jokes in quotation marks. <laughs> I think it works great with Betty White. I mean, seeing her feeding this giant croc with a cow is ridiculous. And I think that's what this movie should have been the whole time. Well, because <laughs> they want it to be campy. And the problem yeah. is I don't, it doesn't go quite like dark enough or like like tasteless Even silly enough. enough right like it it's yeah. still trying to keep everything relatively plausible but it needed like a higher body count it needed maybe more betty white throw all the heads at bridget fonda if that's really what you <laughs> want to do dude like yeah she needed more than two heads hey fuck i'm just like such an asshole but do you think maybe not having a genre veteran director direct it might have improved it or made it worse i think I think we needed somebody who could talk back to David E. Kelly. I often end up blaming a lot of production issues on the script. Mm-hmm. But I think in this case, like when you look at it, unless we're suggesting that most of the acting in this film is actually done by improv, like they would have had these big set pieces structured. So the canoe getting hit, the powerboat where Burke ends up getting his head lost, and then that entire final sequence, like those would have had to have been in the script and then everything else it's like i don't know that a different director would have helped but maybe somebody who would have been like hey david it's 40 minutes and we haven't had a fucking attack yeah because that opening one sets the tone and it makes you think that it's going to be a serious somewhat scary creature feature yeah 
And then we immediately go into city lady out in the <laughs> woods and people being like, oh, she's sarcastic, but she's like mean sarcastic. And you're like, so we're going to do this for 30 minutes? <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, yeah, I guess maybe that's where your disparity of tones. Because again, the best horror comedies can blend the horror and the comedy very well. Whereas this one, it seems like the horror elements were definitely an afterthought. So when they do appear they just kind of feel like they're in a completely different movie. Yeah, like they knew, okay, we need to kill this guy 40 minutes in. Let's do that and then get back to the witty yeah. repartee. Yeah, but I mean, like, even the opening scene, which I mean is like, it's fine. It's not like, I mean, they were clearly going for like a Jaws kind of thing there. Yeah. It, especially yeah. with the way, oh, Jaws didn't show they're going to get bit in half. We're going to show this guy get pulled out of the water. It's great. Yeah. It's going to be so good. But I even think, is the gore on him compute CGI? It's not bloody. I mean, I don't think there's, like, any blood in this movie. Uh, no, there's there's a bit of blood when, yeah, when Hank pulls the body into the boat. You right. can see a little bit of entrails. But I think they're CGI. Mm. Yes, I think those are. And then you see, like, a blood spatter. When Burke gets his head bit off. <laughs> yeah. But I also think that CGI... I, I'm sure they, were, they had, like, a practical effect there, but I feel like... They went over it with, like, CGI. I mean, I'm guessing. I could be totally wrong. But I was just like, why, movie? <laughs> and that's all the gore you get. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you get, yeah, you get, like, the decapitated heads, which are practical. Ooh, the snake coming out of the mouth was a good touch. Yeah. But then that's it. <laughs> that's not scary. Well, but, I mean, it's not scary. But, again, if you want to go with the horror comedy, like, that was a funny, like, little gross moment. So you then you double down on the grossness of this movie. Yeah. Especially with someone like her that's going to crazy react to it oh 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 you you know who she is y'all seen temple of doom right yes. oh god she no she's the she's the uh yeah. kate capshaw character yeah which most people also hate and i fucking love her but like <laughs> they keep fucking with her that whole movie you know the first they throw a bunch of animals at her then they throw a bunch of bot like animal oh. body parts at her and then they throw a bunch of bugs at her it's constant throughout that movie mm-hmm. and that is exactly what this bridget fonda character is she is the willy of this movie and they don't play with that enough other than the, you know, oh, I've got a thing about insert insect here. And when she said ticks, I was like, who doesn't have a thing about ticks? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Her list is she's allergic to tents, mosquitoes, camping, and ticks. <laughs> and very worried about the lack of toilets. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, like, fuck with her more. Like, but I guess they wanted to, like, shoehorn in that relationship between her and Bill Pullman, which I was like, ugh, snooze. No. Yeah. Well, we haven't really talked about Hank very much at all. No, because sorry, he's no, a non Jack. Jack. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Didn't even characters. get his name. <laughs> yes, he's so bland. I can't he remember. Him. So bland. Well, it's it's Bill Pullman playing Bill Pullman, and I love Bill Pullman. I think he's great. I've seen him in a lot of things that I quite enjoy. But is it him or is it David E. Kelly's writing? <laughs> right. Okay. Here's a test. So Bill Paxton was still alive when this movie was made and people were still constantly confusing them for one another. Mm-hmm. Oh, what would, would Bill perfect. Paxton have been like in this movie? He would have been exactly what this movie needed. Can you imagine that like electric shot of energy? <laughs> Having him play off Bridget Vonda, she'd be like, bah, what's happening here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a point. I, I think that, I mean, but he was never considered for this movie, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, that's me speculating. No, I mean, that... that I'm not one for speculation, but I'm really good. I, that, that's, a, that's a good one. I'll give it to you. It's only just because people always confuse them in real life. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know how people do that because they don't look anything alike and they don't act anything alike. Yeah. 
totally different acting styles. Uh, circling back to the way that the film is structured, as you were going through it, Trace, part of what struck me is that the layout is actually not that dissimilar from Deep Blue Sea. Like, they mm-hmm. both open with a big kind of, like, what is this attack sequence? But they don't really show you anything. And then we get the introduction of, like, our character who's a fish out of water. So in that case, it's the Samuel L. Jackson character. In this case, it's Kelly. And they come to this new environment, and they have to get, like, the tour. They meet the natives. There's, like, weird confusion about, like, oh, these people are weird. You know, in that film, it's uh, Stellan Skarsgård. He's pissing into the wind. (laughs) But this film takes place in the most generic of woods. The lake is not all that interesting looking. The woods are not that interesting. They don't really do anything with their setting. Whereas Aquatica has like a lot of really interesting character designs. Like, I mean, Rennie Harlan's also arguably a much better director than Stephen Miner. But yeah, well, Rennie Harlan can direct like action. Like the, he was known for action. And while I, I still put Debussy in as a horror movie. Like it's very much an action horror movie. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very good at its thrills and its shocks, which, I mean, like, part of that's the screenplay and part of that's Rennie Harlan's direction. Whereas, I will disagree with you about the blandness of Black Lake. I actually like the way it looks. It's a very, like, Friday the 13th type setting. Okay. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, ho, ho. Where do you think that came from? <laughs> Steve Miner was very comfortable there. Um, but I do agree that they don't utilize enough. But I think I think it's shot. Like, it looks very good. I think the, the cinematography actually is solid. You know, from this man who would go on to do a lot of teen comedies. <laughs> right. Excellent teen comedies, though. Oh, excellent. Yeah, absolutely. He can shoot a teen comedy. He, he can shoot teenage girls very well. Oh, dear. <laughs> I went there. But, like, if you're going to compare those two movies, Deep Blue Sea has, like, 20 sharks in the first 10 minutes. This is true. Well, and also more deaths. I mean, you know, how many characters yeah. in that movie and only two of them walk away alive? That, to me, is the most confusing thing, like... I will firmly, I think, blame David E. Kelly for that because I think he fell in love with these characters. He wanted to continue the interplay between the two different couples and then he wanted to give them their kind of happily ever after where Kelly and Jack get into his truck together and Hank and Hector get into the ambulance together and they both get that sort of like cheeky, happy, like will they, won't they moment at the end. But it's like you needed to kill one of those four. And it's a Hollywood movie in 1999, so it's not going to be Jack and it's not going to be Kelly. So you needed to kill either Hank or Hector. Or both of them. Or both of them. <laughs> well, and that's thing. Like, you kill Hector when that second croc jumps out of the water. All it does is it bites his leg and pulls him into the water and then they blow it up. And it's like, what? Mm-hmm. What? That croc yeah. would have bitten his stomach in half. Yeah. Or even like the scene where Hector is swimming and Mm -hmm. Deputy Sharon is freaking out. And you're like, okay, so when the croc jumps up and bites the back of it and it looks like the helicopter might tip over or something, she should have fallen out and gotten eaten. Ooh, you know what? You're right. Yeah, she was very expendable as well. I mean, honestly, for offering to sell her body to that pig (laughs) just so we get out of the water. I mean, girl... (laughs) Miss, Mrs. Patton Oswalt, by the way. What? <laughs> yep. I'm sorry. You're, you're going to have to equalize that joke because I know that I just peaked on that microphone level. <laughs> yes. I feel bad about speaking of her. Wait, is she current she's Currently, yeah. Okay. She married him in 2017. Okay. Oh, okay. I was like, wait. <laughs> yes. 
Let's not speak ill of the dead. Let's only speak ill of the still alive. (laughs) Well, we're speaking ill of her character, not the actress herself. I actually didn't mind that character at all. But yeah, she exists solely to be the brunt of sexist remarks by Hector. (laughs) But she is a character that would typically be cannon fodder in any other movie of this type. For sure. Like, if Deputy Burke was expendable, then she should have been as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you make a good point about David E. Kelly being so in love with these characters, but then I'm wondering, okay, well, so did he think, because of that coda at the end of the movie, was he hoping to, like, write a sequel? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, like, where, what were they going to do with the croc once it got to the science, wherever the fuck they were taking it to? Honestly, they (laughs) might as well have just been having a debate, like, oh, so should we keep the croc for science? What kind of science? What would we do? Uh, Science. Well, no, there's that, and there's also Betty White feeding the baby crocodiles. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, this was the day and age where you constantly ended it on a, oh, you know, it worked for Carrie so well, so let's just have, like, a bit of an open-ended tease. Yeah. I mean, well, obviously they used it because Lake Placid 2 exists. (laughs) (laughs) Two through five. And as Brian said, I'm pretty sure those are some direct-to-vid sequels. Because this was the day and age of direct-to-video sequels. Yeah, and then sci-fi, I think. Right. Well, yeah, in the late 2000s that was going on. But I mean, it's still kind of surprising to me that this went to theaters. But I guess it's just because of who was involved with it. I mean, again, you've got a ton of heavy hitters here. And again, David E. Kelly at the height of his career. Yeah, that's probably the reason why they all said yes. Because I can't imagine people looked at the script and thought, yeah, I'm definitely (laughs) signing up for a killer croc movie. Well, according to Bill Pullman in the uh, recent interview he did, he did. But (laughs) (laughs) that could just be a lie. Yeah, I mean, hindsight, 2020, Mr. Mm -hmm. Pullman. Oh, dear. I had a question about Betty White. (laughs) Yeah? Yes. Let's talk about Betty. I mean... I love her in this movie, but how does nothing happen to her? She, like, admits to killing her husband, and no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, no, because they, <laughs> they bring it up a lot, where they, where she's, like... Assisted suicide, or whatever she said initially. Well, like, because yeah, uh, Hank... No. Yes, Hank. <laughs> Hank mentioned several times, you know, like, we, we can arrest you, or, like, Peter might have an issue about your cows, or, you know, you didn't report your husband's death, blah, blah, blah. And... <laughs> He doesn't do anything. Like, no. there's never... But it's because... But it's David Kelly saying, well, she's such a sweet old bitch. I love her. I'm gonna keep her alive and out of jail for the sequel. Because, again, nothing is funnier than a profane old lady. But, yeah, like, this movie doesn't seem to have a good moral sensibility about it. Like, oftentimes you would have this character either get her comeuppance or she would end up being involved. Again, we've got another deputy who's sitting there that she's talking to like, oh, well, I'm rooting for the croc and I hope your friends all get, you know, their asses eaten. Which is good. That, that, that's a good line. That's, I think, the, like a trailer line, right? Yes. yes. I'm pretty sure that was like a big selling point of the trailer. I think so, too. <laughs> Which is probably them saying like, oh, but there is humor in this, so you should expect some jokes. Man, y'all go watch that fucking trailer. Like, like, <laughs> I think I think the Betty White line was in the TV spot. I mm. don't think it was in the theatrical trailer. Because, again, that theatrical trailer like makes it look like a horror movie. Ugh. Yeah, I don't remember seeing this in the theater. So I don't think I was initially disappointed when I saw it. I remember liking it a lot more the first time. Like, I saw it in the theaters. And then I maybe have watched it, like, sometime in the aughts. And then, obviously, again for this. But... This is definitely a case of uh, decreasing residuals. Like, (laughs) 
it's just not exciting enough or funny enough to justify popping in for like a fun like if you're looking for something along those lines yeah like watch anaconda <laughs> yeah exactly oh my god on that note though so the late 90s were kind of a a haven for theatrically released creature features. I mean, there were quite a bit of them. So I'm interested to where y'all rank this in terms of, so let's, I'm going to run down off of memory what I'm thinking of. So obviously Deep Blue Sea and Anaconda. Mm -hmm. There's Deep Rising. There's The Relic. Yes. This is 2000, but I'm still going to count it. There's Bats with Lou Diamond Phillips and Dina Meyer. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ, no. I know. (laughs) And then there's this. I think that's all of them. I mean, is there another one y'all can think of? No, not in the 90s. There's a gap either. between, like, the sort of next cycle, because there was yeah. a couple in the, like, Eight-legged the freaks, 2000s. But that was later. Yeah. Uh, actually, you guys keep talking, I'll look that one up. Okay, so those five movies, like, Brian, how, how would you, where would you put this between, the, actually, no, just fucking rank them, rank all of them. Um, let's see, it was Deep Blue Sea and, and Deep Rising. I'd do Deep Blue Sea, Anaconda, Deep Rising, Relic, this, and then Bats, I guess? I don't know, it's been a long time since I've seen Bats. I think I would probably rank them the same. I actually, okay, so Bats is not a good movie, but I think it's kind of fun. It might be more fun. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the opening like is like two kids, you know, fucking near a bat cave or fucking in their car <laughs> near a bat cave and they get attacked by bats in their car and somehow die. <laughs> but that's a movie that was supposed to be rated R and then they like, trimmed it down for a PG-13 to get in the theaters. Doesn't that one also just have like the worst CGI bats too? I think so. I mean, it has been a long time. I think I own it on DVD, to be honest. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know. But you know what, though? How much you want to bet that it's better than uh, The Silence that came out this year on Netflix? Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I haven't seen either, but I'm betting based on what I heard. I started it, and I did not need to finish it. Oh, dear. (laughs) That's almost more damning, right? When you're just like, "Mm, I'll come back to you. Basically. All right, so, uh, Joe, what were you looking at? Oh, uh, so Eight-Legged Freaks is from 2002, so it's okay. probably closer to, like, rogue territory and some of the other... Oh, sorry, two things to say. Eight-Legged Freaks is fucking great. Yes. And that that, that movie does blend horror and comedy well, because there are some spider things in that movie that are legitimately scary. <laughs> yes, and there are some ridiculous things, like a giant spider picking off people on dirt bikes. <laughs> yes. Oh, those are great. And moving on to Rogue, though, I mean, like, in terms of, like, this era of crocodile movies, so there's this one, there's Toby Hooper's Crocodile, which is not a better movie than this, but it is a hell of a lot more fun than this. <laughs> And then Rogue, which is a much better movie than both of those things, maybe not quite as fun, because it's a... No, it's not fun. (laughs) Well, it's a slow burn. I mean, like, it's a very slow burn that leads up to, like, you know, kind of a climactic battle, but it's really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, When I said it's, like, it's not fun, I meant, like, it's not (laughs) funny. Like, it's a really good movie, but it's not trying to be funny. Yeah, and listeners, if you've never seen Rogue, um, that is Greg McLean, director of Wolf Creek, also starring Rada Mitchell and Michael Vartan. I mean, sexy and Michael Vartan. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's set in Australia, too, so they all look very hot and tired. Uh, (laughs) Also starring Mia Wasikowska in one of her earliest roles. Oh, yes. I cannot pronounce her last name. Ooh, it's on stars right now. (laughs) Okay, so people, if you've made it this far in and you were disappointed with Lake Placid, for the love of God, go watch Rogue. And tell us if you think that Hank and Hector... God damn it, this is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Hank and Hector have a queer incest... Nonsense, queer relationship. Um, not incestuous, that's not the right <laughs> word. No. No. <laughs> oh, dear. 
I know. I, I feel like we're stretching this out because there's just nothing to talk about in this stupid like movie. Like the movie itself. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Would you guys want to play a game? Yes, I want to sure. play a game. Okay, I have two different games. So, the first game... Hmm, how are we going to do this? <laughs> I would like each of you to give me a defining characteristic that distinguishes a crocodile from an alligator. <laughs> Shit. Okay. The this type is an of educational podcast now. It is something to do with their teeth or like their snout or something. Because I, I, I used to know this when I was like in elementary school and middle school. You've technically named all three between the two of you right now. So one's salt water, one's fresh water? Yes, but which is which? Um, uh, the crocodile is in the lake, so the crocodile is fresh water, the alligator is salt water. No. Nope, you were wrong. It's the other way around. Because it's weird that this one's in the lake. Gosh, yeah. Oh, because he, 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 he swam across the ocean. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Apologies. I did watch this movie. <laughs> Trace was like vacuuming and like listening to the dog's bark. He's like, yeah, I watched this movie. So the teeth, is it that the crocodile's bottom row of teeth are pointed outwards like to where they're like covering the top row of teeth uh sort of okay so it's (laughs) crocodiles look like they are flashing a toothy grin because you can see the teeth when the lower jaw sticks over the upper lip okay yeah there you go i was like kind of yeah the the lower teeth are like hanging out of the yeah yes i got it whereas with alligators you can't see their teeth when their mouths are closed so you don't get the smile and then you mentioned snouts as well. Yes. Did you want to try that one? Uh, is the snout of the crocodile more flat? It's letter-based. What? One of them looks like a letter, and the other one looks like a different letter. Hmm. Oh, no, I'm not going to know that. No, okay. <laughs> Brian, you want to do a hazard to guess? No, I have no clue what that would be. Okay, so alligators have a U-shaped snout that is wider, whereas crocodiles have a more pointed V-shape. Hmm. I'm going to look up pictures of that when we're done with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun because I always do side-by-side comparisons. The big thing is, I think, the grin, because they look like they're smiling. And you're <laughs> like, oh, that's creepy. Oh. <laughs> oh, and that's why it's a crocodile of Peter Pan, because it has a goofy smile. <laughs> exactly. But in Crawl, which is coming to theaters this weekend, that is... Right? Those are alligators. Those are alligators, yeah. Okay. So that was the first mm. game. And your second game, since you mentioned it earlier... We're going to riff on the popular way that Scream 101 podcast ends. So, since both of you have mentioned you have not seen the sequel to Lake Placid, (laughs) I would like you to know. Yeah. I don't actually have the right answer, so I'd like you (laughs) to just speculate. Ooh. Wait, so what happens in the sequel? What do we think the sequel is? Like number two. We're not doing all of the sequels, just number two. No. I mean, if you want to talk about the Anaconda versus Lake Placid, I will happily also speculate about that. But for now, let's focus on two. So I actually listened to Scream 101's episode on Lake Placid 2, but I couldn't tell you what the movie's about. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it's about a crocodile attacking kids. Oh, I do know John Schneider, though, of Smallville fame and um, Dukes of Hazzard fame is the cop. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> well, no one from this movie comes back, so it's safe to assume that there's going to be new people. Not even the croc? <laughs> well, no, it's the babies all grown up, because it's like, what, it was 2008, I think, so it's nine years after this. That's yeah, a big gap. Mm. Yeah, I want the mom to break out of whatever it's in in Portland and swim back down and reunite with its babies and cause hell on spring break. I wonder if it actually takes place on a Lake Placid. Oh, but I do know that Cloris Leachman plays Betty White's character's sister. Yes. 
they mentioned that she that Betty White was killed by the crocodiles. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? To which you're like, so what? why the fuck didn't they just kill her? Right? <laughs> Show us that. Well, because they thought they were going to get a theatrically released sequel and they're going to bring that bitch back. She was, Oh, she would have been the opening death. Right. Yeah. <laughs> also, Brian, just as you said, like, I want the mama to come back to the lake. All I could do was picture, like, the croc with, like, a trucker hat on, like, driving the <laughs> back on the truck back. <laughs> that, that, that was a really funny image, though, of that crocodile on that back of that truck. Could you imagine driving past something like that on the freeway, though? <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. so <laughs> funny. Oh, my God. That and Final Destination mixed together. Like <laughs> that should be croc- the sequel. A crocodile oh. comes through the windshield. That's your movie. That's your movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> Make it. Crocs on a highway. <laughs> and then somebody misinterprets it, and you just end up with, like, a lot of shoes falling onto people. And you're like, no, wrong Crocs. <laughs> Obviously. 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 Ugh. Michelle, come suck my toe. I've got a great idea for the sequel. I just, I did not know he was married to Michelle Pfeiffer. I had no fucking idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he and that weird haircut. I know. (laughs) I feel like David E. Kelly has Keith Urban hair, and I'm not down for it. Mm. I don't know know who Keith Urban is, do you? No, he's a country singer. (laughs) He's married. He's married to, wait, 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 don't, 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 I'm not looking this up. Keith Urban is married to Faith Hill. Oh, come on. No? Brian, who is it? Shania Twain? Big Little Lies. Nicole Kidman, damn it! <laughs> it all comes together. I... Wait, That's why so he has wait. the same hair. That's why Keith Urban and David E. Kelly have the same hair, because they're all connected to Big Little Lies. Who is Faith Hill married to? Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw. Damn it! Uh, uh, I'm from Texas, I should know this, but I don't do country music. <laughs> okay, right. well... I think that's probably going to wrap up Lake Placid, unless you have anything else you'll want to say about this quote-unquote movie. I don't think so. I started the episode being like, I'm going to defend this movie from these two assholes. <laughs> now I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'll let it go. That's yeah. the thing. Honestly, the I movie's think fine. because it's up against so much, like, so many better creature features of that time period. I mean, again, maybe giving the edge out to Bats, but you know what? I might go watch Bats this weekend and be like, meh, it's better. <laughs> <laughs> right i'm curious i know i am too <laughs> everybody go watch bats go watch bats back instead in. oh my I mean, god no don't don't do it you've got lou diamond phillips I, there was something about bats too where it's like it was the only movie like it was the first movie released to have its uh credits or have its title be upside down and i was like <laughs> okay that, that's some useless imdb trivia for you i was gonna say yeah that obviously came from imdb god, uh, well, the people who put in trivia for that <laughs> I don't know. It's something. Okay, well, uh, so yes, that will wrap up our episode. But before we talk about what we are covering next week, Brian. Yes. Plug something <laughs> of yours, if you want to. Like, plug away. I'm on Twitter. Uh, follow me at Brian Particelli. It's P-A-R-T-I-C-E-L-L-I. Yeah, I mean, it'll be on their page, so just find it there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? Are you, you'll tag me when you tweet this thing out, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, oh, for sure. But yeah, that's it. I mean, and then read com. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Lots of entertainment news. We'll keep it coming. <laughs> there you go. If you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me at Traced Thurman. And I am at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And if you're tweeting about the podcast, please be sure to use the hashtag HorrorQueers in your tweets. You can also email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com or go to check out our Facebook page. If you have two seconds, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating. Or if you want to spend more time and shower us with even more love, please leave us a review. 
If you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash horrorqueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes covering recent horror films like Midsummer. and next week you'll have an episode on Crawl, because we just can't stop talking about crocodiles and alligators. You betcha. Plus, if you're a patron, you do get a newsletter on the first day of each month that will let you know our film schedule for that month. And on that note, Joe, what are we covering next week? All right. Our summer of franchises has unfortunately come to an end. So we are actually going to take our first foray into television. We're going to be checking out the first season or series of British television show In the Flesh. Now, listeners, when Joe told me we were doing this, I was like, fuck no. But hear me out. The first season of the show, which is available on Amazon Prime and Hulu, so you have no excuses, is only three episodes long, making a combined runtime of two hours and 48 minutes, so it's 30 minutes shorter than Titanic. Mm-hmm. Or 20 <laughs> minutes longer than Midsummer. Or 20 minutes, exactly, 20 minutes longer than Midsummer. Technically 28, but yes. Yeah, so, and it's really good, because we've actually already recorded this episode, so... Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. But yes, it's very good. I promise it's great. It's um, a great zombie television show. So seek it out. Give it a watch. And um, maybe you'll want to watch a second season. Or, um, fuck, second series. <laughs> Sorry. That's just a recurring gag. It's a recurring gag. But it's fine. So yeah. Uh, then uh, until next week, we can cross out Lake Placid. Yes. And cross out horror quiz. <laughs> This episode was brought to you by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, delivering your weekly horror podcast fix. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit bloodydisgusting.com backslash podcast network.